You obviously know Kung Fu. Hi, Maria Trant. I'm from Sydney, Australia. I'm a martial artist, actress. I've got my own film production company, and you're watching a Kung Fu Drive-In podcast. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. Joining me today, all the way from Australia, it's bright and early over there. They haven't even had breakfast. Actress, filmmaker, founder, and CEO of Phoenix Eye Film Production Company, Maria Tran. Maria, thank you so much for joining the Kung Fu Driving Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yes. It's great to have you. Uh, I'm a fan of, of your work, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But a quick introduction to you. Aside from your film work, which we will talk about, as a martial artist, IMDb lists a few of your martial arts accomplishments. You're a sparring Taekwondo champion in uh, 1989, Shaolin Kung Fu, and Volvinam. Uh, how did you get involved in martial arts to begin with? Okay, so for me, um, I got into martial arts because growing up in Australia, I got, let's just say, bullied and beaten up in school. And going home, my parents were like, you know, that we need to find you a way where you don't get picked on anymore. So they decided to do the most typical thing, as most Asians do, is put their kids in martial arts schools. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I know, to, to protect myself from the bullies, right? So um, that's when I started um, Taekwondo. That was my first martial arts and um, that was just at a local dojo, learning sort of the basic kicks and punches. And then I started getting quite competitive. I think after some time, I started to develop more of my confidence. And I started to really want to delve into Taekwondo on a more competitive level. So that's sort of what I did and how I started with martial arts. All right. So how long have you been competing in martial arts in general? Well, I think overall, it would probably be only three years in Australia. Um, and that's just during my high school high school years. So very early on, that would um, that, that we're looking at probably fifteen, almost twenty years ago. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Now you, you mentioned uh, a typical Asian thing, but um, you're Vietnamese by heritage, correct? That's correct. Okay, and Taekwondo is uh, is Korean. So how did you wind up choosing Taekwondo over, say, a, a native Vietnamese martial art? I think the time in 998, um, the Vietnamese martial arts like Vo Nam wasn't really established. We weren't able to find um, ones. So, and, and Taekwondo was so easily accessible. Like every single suburb that we went to, there was a dojo. And that was easy for my parents to put me through anyway. So that's that's really – we didn't really select it and do our shopping. We just – my parents just worried. They're like, you know what? We don't want her to get beaten up again. Let's just put her into something and hopefully she'll gain skills. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Now, Vovinam is, is interesting because I've never heard of that, but it's a Vietnamese martial art. Yes. Uh, can you explain a little bit about that? Well, with Vovinam, I only um, recently, I would say probably the last few years, delved into it, but I didn't go study it through the traditional system, so I didn't study it from a dojo. So um, for me, I learned it because a lot of films that I made, we kind of wanted to explore something a little bit more spectacular. But for me, when it comes to Vietnam, I really enjoyed it because it's kind of like it's a martial arts that the practitioner that created borrowed from Shaolin Kung Fu to the Korean style of martial arts. And, you know, it's, it's based on yin and yang, you know, hard and soft in combat and daily life. So, you know, a lot of martial arts either choose one or the other. This, this is a, 
I feel like this is a field where they choose both. And you've got weaponry, you've got and, – and a lot of people know Rolvi now through the, the spectacular leg grappling moves. There's like 21, you know, different techniques on that. So I think that's why I was quite fascinated about it. But I, I, I do quite enjoy also understanding the philosophy behind it as well and it's sort of a martial arts that allows one – to overcome their ego as well as it, it, there's a sense of like free freedom within it. So, and that's where I, I feel like it's quite applicable to myself and my, my culture, my heritage. That's great. Is it a, is it a practical martial art? Do you think? I think that of, of, well, when it comes to like, it's funny because me and my friends, we sat around one day and we're like looking at all the moves. We're like, okay, would you stand there and wait for me to jump and like kind of, you know, have your head between my leg and flip you over. I mean, obviously not. But, hey, if it sells on camera, if it looks good, if it creates that wow in the audiences, then it's got an effect. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, uh, the uh, going back to just martial arts in general, though, uh, martial arts for a long time is predominantly a, a boys' club, right? Mm. Did you encounter any pushback? when you were studying martial arts, uh, aside from the fact uh, that you were studying it to protect yourself? Yeah. Um, I think as when it comes to the path of getting into martial arts, I do feel like it has predominantly been quite male-dominated because a lot of the trainers were male and the masters are male. And there is, of course, a perception of what, you know, women you know, roles are in society. But if you realise, even like when it comes down to Donnie Yen and Samuel Hung, they grew up with mums that were masters, you know what I mean? So it's it's kind of interesting because that that hasn't had a ripple effect in a lot of the martial arts schools and it became a boys' club. Um, and I feel like a lot of times it's, it's a two-way street. It's not only because, you know, males, you know, impose this, but also the women. The women allow... They might not. I feel like when it comes to doing martial arts, majority of women or girls, they there's a psychological thing where they tend to kind of be a little bit more fearful in embracing new moves. Whereas boys, they kind of just do it. They kind of egg each other on and just do it, right? Which I feel like there's a benefit to that because they nail a lot of the moves quite um, quickly. Even for myself, sometimes when I do moves and I'm like in my head, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this. And, and then I have to kind of unlearn those behaviors and those thought patterns to be able to center myself and learn the moves and do it well. So I think it's 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 a number of reasons why it's kind of looks like a boys club, but I do feel like women need to sort of rise up and also start, you know, um, taking their spotlight as well without sort of sitting there waiting for them for their go. Right. It's getting a little bit better uh, as a, as a dad of three daughters, uh, I'm, I'm more keen to the, that aspect of it. Uh, and uh, I recently started uh, my own martial arts journey and my daughters have joined that journey with me. So uh, I'm always looking for those, uh, role models that can uh, show them that it's okay to be a girl and be into martial arts and kick ass. That is fantastic because for you as a dad, that's really supportive. My dad, for my dad, he always wanted me to be a boy. So I grew up like a boy. So he kind of treated <laughs> me like a boy. There was a stage where I had a short short hair and, and all that. So it was quite different growing up with my dad who's 
who supports me, but he sees me as more male than female. <laughs> so, which is still cool because he allows me to do, you know, whatever I want. As well as he's um, back in Vietnam, he was also a martial artist. So he used to we used to spar and all that. So, which is really fun. Cool. Now uh, let's get into that a little bit the uh, the entertainment world side of things because while it's uh, a boys club in the uh, I guess the real world female martial artists uh, have had only a few ambassadors throughout the years in the entertainment side of things as well um, they ne- haven't necessarily gotten their fair share in the spotlight right why do you think that's been that case mm, see when it comes to like showbiz entertainment world I feel like it's a system that needs to have more women that work together to be able to change it. For example, you can't just only have female martial artists. You need female writers. You need female directors. You need female producers who who actually work together and create projects that have an amazing outcome when it comes to audience reception. I feel like that, you know, you've got a few ambassadors and Michelle Yao and all that, but at the same time, there's still one person. We need more like a movement of women who think collaboratively. They think beyond their own careers, but they work together to create more new narratives with strong female stories, not only just kick ass, but really strong, compelling stories that go against what is given to them at the moment in, in the film, film industry. Do you have any sense of that movement taking place or are you uh, actively working to be part of that movement to get it going? I think for me at the moment, in the past, I would say 10 years, I did work in solitude. And then when I formed Phoenix Eye and it was a connection of all these other women who, you know, they might not be, you know, like amazing martial arts, but they have a mind and they have this wanting to make a change and, all these women, as well as men, they help contribute to finding new ways of depicting things, new ways of storytelling or like fight movements. And it's it's been a collaborative journey. And I personally didn't um, in the start think that that was going to happen. It just organically happened, which has really helped me start to understand and even be the next you know, emerging key players when it comes to making films in the next five to 10 years. That's how I see it as. Uh, and speaking of films, you're currently working on Femme Fatale. Uh, yes. Seen and Unheard, which uh, is going to try to shine a spotlight on those female action heroes, uh, as well as that that gap in uh, representation. What was the spark for this whole project? Oh, that, you know, this, the spark for the project um, for Femme Fatale, Seen and Unheard to be honest, we, myself and the women of Phoenix Eye, we had this question. We, we wanted to know if there were other women out there globally, you know, across Asia and, and what they're doing and then how they're doing it as well, what kind of support they have. So we identified a few people like Gina Machetti from the Hong Kong University who's done like decades upon decades and decades of research in the area. Uh, we got a chance to connect with her and interview her and tap into her resource to understand where where the general ebbs and flows and what is the future direction for women in this field. As well as we uh, connected with Sharon Pan Pan, who has a stunt school called Hit Hut Studios in Hong Kong. And that has like Mandy Ho, who's an amazing stunt woman. Um, and then we met with Loria uh, Wu, uh, Winky Lai, Mike Leader, who's also given his perspective on what he sees and how he, he, he views sort of the flow in terms of how you know the the needs the demand and supply when it comes to female action leads um and then we went to 
went to Vietnam, met uh, Jung Gop An, who is an amazing, she's like the Angelina Jolie of Vietnam, and she's been trying to create uh, block Vietnamese blockbusters with female leads. And then we went to the Philippines, which we met Vincent and Sarah Chang, and they are an amazing duo. Like Sarah is so, so talented. She does the rigging. She does the, the stunts. You know, I feel like the Philippines, like my thing is that I really want to find ways to build the bridge across, you know, Southeast Asia and find ways to create narratives that inter sort of interlink between where I'm living as well as across Asia or even working in Asia to understand, you know, how the pacing's like. Because in Australia, it takes on average seven years to make a feature film, seven years, whereas in Asia, it takes eight months. So when I was doing Tracer, it from script all the way to hitting the cinemas, 100 cinemas across Vietnam, eight months. That is a production line. That's where I want to be working um, because I want to be able to continue um, building on my skills as a filmmaker, but I can't do it in Australia. And that's why the whole documentary allowed us to build these connections. Like Barbara Wong, amazing woman's done like Girls, Girls, Girls or Girls versus Gangsters had Mike Tyson in it. And she was also talking about the experience of what it was like. She started in documentaries and then she got into feature film uh, making. So that was fantastic. And then we got to interview a bunch of stunt women in Vietnam and how hard it is for them to do the stunt work. But at the same time, uh, the safety in Vietnam and in Asia isn't as high standards in the Western world. So it's expected that you're going to break arms and legs and limbs and, you know, crack your skull. It's a normality. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah, I've cracked my skull, broken five bones. Yeah, it's normal. Yeah. You know, when, <laughs> I, when, when I did do that, I didn't go home because I didn't want my parents to find out I'm doing stunts. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you know, you're going against the brain as a woman and then you can't tell your parents but then you're also um undergoing injury that's like a lot you know to take in but this is what's happening in asia and i find it so fascinating that myself and the girls from phoenix are we had so much insight that connection to these women and men across asia to learn more about what's happening that's so much great talent there how do you focus all of that talent and perspective into one uh, cohesive film mm. well i think when it came to the documentary to be honest with you what happened was in australia we pitched it to let's say the australian government they love the idea but they kind of felt that they wanted the documentary to have more of i would call it like the white savior angle which I don't like. And, and personally, I was like, you know what? If you're not going to give us the funding, we are just going to self-fund it and do it. And we went over to, in 13 days, traveled over to three countries, uh, stopped over to over extra two countries, and we just filmed back-to-back -back all these interviews with these women. And also seeing, like, now that we've got all the footage, we can see there are trends in the movement as well as what women have to go through to come out to the other end. And so we're going to collate this. And there's a part of the documentary that I, I haven't started to embark on is actually creating my own uh, female-led action film in Australia and how what the learnings of internationally will help me figure out where to place this this film that I want to embark on, if whether or not it will work or not. So that's sort of like a, the second side of the documentary, which we haven't um, delved into, but that's sort of in the whole scope of it. It's sort of like gathering the inf information from the experts, but then funneling it down to seeing whether 
like myself and the women at Phoenix are able to practically put it into effect, especially in a country like Australia where, you know, you don't see a lot of Asians on screen, you know, and when you do, because I've been working in Australian film industry as an actress and the, the biggest roles I play are usually very stereotyped, you know, comedy roles. Like, you understand? Like, that kind of role. Like, people, I'm a meme. In Australia, I'm a meme. They don't know me as Maria Tran. They know me as, you know, trans fat who is like this character on the Australian television show who's has a pork roll store and a nail salon. She's got massive big hair. She's like a tiger woman. <laughs> you know? So it's quite interesting that, yes, you know, you can be a martial artist, you can be a filmmaker, but sometimes in the different ecosystems you're demanded differently. Like in Australia, they, they like the idea of me doing action, but most of my work is usually the stereotype work. Yeah. Mm. Now that's a tough burden to to shoulder uh, as a filmmaker uh, because obviously there's there are voices that you want to represent and you are uh, representing women and you're also uh, trying to represent Asians in film. How do you deal with that when you're dealing with that action genre? Because, like you said, you wind up doing that uh, that balancing act of trying to fully represent Asians and everything that they have to offer, but then you're stuck with. Uh, having to uh, provide that white savior stereotype uh, to just to get the proper marketing, I guess. So how do you address that when you're trying to fight that system? Yeah, I think it's a very delicate um, balancing act. There's one way I can't sort of say, no, I won't do it. And there's another way where I'm like, you know, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. But the thing what I realize as an actor, coming from actors, if I'm going to do the role, I'm going to do the role so effing well that people will recognize me and they remember me. So I, I do that. Even though it's chop socky stuff, I'm like, you know, I want to do it well. I'm not going to give, you know, just 50%. I'm going to give 130%, you know, because then people, when they look at me as a martial artist or doing the film action genre, they can look at my other shade and go, oh, my God, you can do comedy. That's amazing. I'm like, yeah, because whatever I put my mind to, I'm going to do it well. But then knowing that I have a team of women – like Therese, who's recently we put her through like a screenwriting course to learn as much as possible because I see hers one day in the next, if she works hard in the next 10 years, she could be doing really well in terms of writing our next, you know, generation of narratives, um, films. So, you know, I, I do see big picture and I always know that every big picture that you have it is made up of all the choices, um, big or small, whether you like it or not. So, Yes, at the moment in the current state in Australia, I'm playing chop sucky roles, but it's not going to be there for long because I'm my mind, my heart is always thinking internationally. I'm always wanting to collaborate. If I know there's another group, you know, internationally who's like, hey, Maria, come over and, and shoot. I'll be like, yeah, I'm going to hop on play and go. I don't be like, oh, I don't know. I've got to talk to my agent. I'm like, no, I'll do it because I know this collaboration is going to, you know, add to the movement that I don't think it's just not me. There's other people around the world doing this. And if we can all find them and work together, it's going to be brilliant. That's cool. It sounds like you've got some serious drive behind you. Where do you credit uh, the influence uh, behind that drive uh, as both a martial artist and as a filmmaker? Hmm, the drive. Yeah, that's an interesting one because I think when you're younger, martial arts allowed you to have more control over your your body, your physicality, especially if the environment, you're not able to control that. And as you get older, I feel like my drive has more of like 
I feel like it's a higher purpose. Like it's like I want to be able to serve and to help other people on this journey and I feel like wherever I need to go, if I keep on pushing myself and becoming the best that I can be, it helps everyone else. And people might think, oh, yeah, you know, uh, the action film industry, you've got your typical, like, action stars, whatever, who are always, you know, I'm the beefcake and I'm going to go and do my, this is my career, I'm going to get in all sorts of bad stuff and then have that in the media. I feel like there needs to be a change in that image and that we need to have men and women who come into this genre with a very sort of solid um, understanding of who they are and being who they are and how they are connected to so many different people that could you can kind of lift up. I feel like, I know it's very spiritual, but I feel like it lifts up the vibration of people in that field, especially the action genre, which is most of the time is very, like, violent and all that. But I feel like there's still so much room for great storytelling that changes the consciousness of, of people and how people see the world, how people treat each other as well. So I feel that's the, my drive. I know it's weird. I should be doing, like, a, be a psychic medium or something, but I'm, like, <laughs> I, <laughs> in this field. And it's lovely because I do meet a lot of people who are quite jaded or who are quite sort of very A to B, I just want to be an action star. And I'm, like, okay, but let's peel, let's think beyond that. What does that mean to you? Why do you want to be an action star? Is it for you to make your yourself happy or is it actually for a greater good? You know, and if you do want to go down this field, what's some of the characters you want to play? I just want to have guns. It's like, yeah, but there's got to be more than that because we've got that. We've got so much of that already. We need to have people who are much more comprehensive in their thinking as well as they care for other people, you know, rather than just themselves and their solo career. You sound like a very cerebral and compassionate I know. Yeah, yeah, I am. But when I teach it, each martial arts is different, though, because we're, like, I'm pretty strict and pretty, like, I push everyone. But, yeah, I do have this other side of me which thinks on the on a grand scheme of things. And I, I it, that's what drives me. That's what I do when I train and when I make films and when I look at scripts and when I look at my colleagues and I can see room to improve, help them, I'll do it. You know what I mean? So it, that's that's how that, – that's what drives me. Okay, that's great. Well, uh, who are your influences as, as a filmmaker? As a filmmaker? You know, this is going to be a bit naughty, but as a filmmaker, out of all my members in my team, I probably have watched the least amount of films. I'm, it's the worst. I've watched the least amount of films, but when I do watch a film, I actually don't watch it for the film. I watch it for something that is very, I don't know, like an essence, which is hard to describe what it is. And I'm able to... I don't know, like come up with ideas and shoot things really quickly, but at the same time know sort of the effects of it. Like Hit Girls, which um, I did probably, I would say, five years ago. It's a very ultra-violent short film. But yeah. only, only now that I look back, the reason why I did that was to show that, okay, if males can do these types of films, why can't women do these types of films? You know, so there's always a sort of – there's another layer to, to, I feel like, what I do. But in terms of films, like, I've got a bit of an issue with concentration when it comes to watching <laughs> Okay. I've, a little bit like a dyslexia. So I watch things in flashes and I can't seem to sit and watch a whole movie unless it's really like, I don't know. Yeah, that's a hard one. I mean, the last films that I've watched that I really liked was like Fifth Element and all the Jackie Chan stuff because the physicality speaks to me more than sort of like dialogue, 
and all that. But Jackie Chan has been definitely one of my one of my influences, and I was so grateful to have actually worked with him in 2015. His amazing energy. He's he's from a different. I don't know. Sometimes it felt like he was from a different planet because the way he looks. At, no, because the way he looks. I can tell. I can read people to a certain extent. And you can see Jackie is always striving. He's striving to better the environment around him. He's striving to always connect with people. He's always trying to bring joy to people, which is an amazing thing to do, you know. And when I was working on with uh, on Bleeding Still, you know, I had a, a fantastic um, time working with him as well as he took me on a road trip to Canberra with his son and a couple of his close, um, you know, family members. And I got a chance to visit one of his homes in Canberra where his parents used to live and it was a very emotional experience for Jackie. And I was so privileged to be able to have my little camera and, and document that, you know, and, and ha- he was okay with that. And I was asking him questions. He was so open to give, being vulnerable and that was amazing. And I realised if I was ever to be anywhere as anything, I want to also be able to do that, to be open to people and to give to people you know, to help serve people. And I think he does that really well. And, he, and that's why he's had such a long career because I think that when working with him, I realise he's not doing it for himself. He's doing it for everyone else, all the people he care about. Because when I, we have dinners, he'll make sure everyone eats first and, you know, he's, he really cares for people. Yeah. I've heard that about him and uh, he's got that ethic that uh, he's not uh, too big for the lowest job, right? Yes. Yeah, he was picking up rubbish on, on Bleeding Steel when I was picking up rubbish. He looked at me, I looked at him. I kind of got scared, so I looked away and he kept on picking up rubbish and he started picking up rubbish. And he's such a, <laughs> such a larrikin on set. He's so funny. Like one time he came around and he wanted to put a, give me a biscuit. He was open your mouth. And I was like, oh, no, Jackie, I don't eat. And by the time I said I don't eat, like, biscuits, he's already got the biscuit in my mouth. <laughs> how quick Jackie is. You know, and he walks up and I was like, thanks, Jackie. Okay. Biscuit. Like as if I'm a parrot, but anyhow. (laughs) Who else uh, would you credit as influences or or maybe mentors in your your career? So in my career, my mentors would definitely be the first mentor I had was Anthony Sito, um, who who then helped me with Hit Girls. And Juju Chan, she's such an amazing person. She just throws herself out there and she's just been getting project after project, which is really fantastic. Roger Corman. Roger Corman is pretty cool. He's 90 and he's still like he's got that spark when I met him in, in L.A. Um, after working on Fist of the Dragon. Of course, Mike Leader. Mike Leader has always been supportive um, of my career and giving me solid advice on how to navigate the male-dominated sort of industry. Pretty much they are my solid. Um, and also Jingle Bun in Vietnam, who's very strong female woman who's also got her own production company who's also got her set of i guess issues when it comes to making female-led projects in vietnam so she's always helped me as well so those are my mentors and supporters Hmm. you you spoke of of hit girls those films are how i came to uh uh, get introduced to you um uh, especially the uh loving homage to the 80s with tiger cop yes tiger cops that was (laughs) That was fun because um, myself and my friends, we used to get it together on the weekends and we just shoot things and experiment and put it on, you know, on YouTube just so that we can sort of feel like we're – because it was hard. I, I feel like 10 years ago getting into the film industry in Australia was hard and we thought, you know, we'll just make our own stuff and find our own audiences. 
And eventually, you know, the Australian Film Ministry then um, funded um, Tyler Cops as interstitials. But, again, we faced issues where in Australia the narrative, like you know how there's that Hong Kong genre? I don't think they quite understand that. So they end up taking away a lot of the Hong Kong genre elements from our Tiger Cops. And I feel like, you know, it was hard to explain to them that a lot of times we write around the action and the narrative doesn't have to be so too in-depth, but people watching it for the physicality. And, you know, over the years of working in the film industry, I had time and time again, I, I, I keep on getting into a lot of conflict with, the, say, for example, stunt industry or within film productions. We're trying to explain to them that, you know, we need to, if we're doing a TV series, we need to find actors who we need either train them up um, to have that physicality, especially if you want to do something that's kind of the martial arts action genre and you want to tick that box. Otherwise, it will be doubled. And one of the shows I worked on, I don't want to name the show, but it ended up having every single ta- shot was doubled, which I doubled for the girl. And the only shots that, that we had of the girl was when she started the fight and ended the fight. And I was like, you can't cheat the audience. The audiences are so sophisticated. They want to see the performers do the action. It's interesting that uh, you, you talk about Australia having that disconnect in, in terms of Hong Kong film, uh, only because one of my previous guests, uh, who you've worked with, Richard Norton, is such a huge Hong Kong film icon. Yes. And, uh, he's an Australian uh, good old boy, right? Mm-mm. Richard Norton, he's amazing. Like, I feel like personally... He should be doing heaps more stuff in Australia. I wish that there was more opportunity because he's an amazing performer. I just feel like he just gets un- unrecognised in Australia and that's why he has to go overseas to do projects. And And on top of that, he's an amazing – when it comes to movement, stunts, um, coordinating a team, leadership, he's got it all. But in Australia, I feel like his skills aren't recognised and I'm glad that he's venturing outside to, to work on, like, you know, big production films to have his his sort of skills and talents utilised. But when it comes to performing, he's amazing. I mean, we always think, like, A, he's B-grade action, but when you put him in a role, he is so invested. We, we had a scene where he just says, painful, and we were just, like, watching him as he embodies that character without – Anything. He just he just went into that character. He gave us so many different variations. Like, do you want that one? Do you want this? I'm like, whoa, we have options. <laughs> you know, like, this is Richard. This is Richard Norton, and I've I've grown up watching his fight scenes, and now he's 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 doing a cameo, and he's such a lovely person. Again, you know, all these amazing, lovely people who who I feel like are connected to the Hong Kong action cinema genre. You know, and I feel like there are so many things that we can, especially the next generation of filmmakers can, can learn from. And it's that sort of that humility and that humbleness and that sort of really giving, you know, as much as they can in, in what they have when it comes to the craft, the sharing, the collaboration. I love that. And I feel like we need more of that in the next generation. Speaking of that, then, are you planning on doing more of that side of things, more of that acting and stunt work, or are you going to concentrate more on – creating films and directing? 
it's a it's a mixture of things. So at the moment, like I've got a couple of writers in Finca. We're developing like Hit Girls to feature film. But it's one of those things we can develop stuff. But if it doesn't have like let's say the resources, we kind of have to shelve things. So what I do is we're stocking up on on scripts. We're stocking up short films, feature films, and then we're finding ways to collaborate internationally to see if these scripts can have a life. Because for me, I don't feel like. A, a script if it's on a shelf it's going to do us any good and on top of that we're working across genres we're not just doing um the action film genre we're doing psychological thrillers horrors we're doing anything so that we can keep on practicing as filmmakers whether in australia or internationally so and for me as a performer this year i've invested um more time in developing my craft because there's always that stigma oh you're doing action you can't act or, or not really the in-depth stuff. I'm like, no, I want to change that. I want to show – I want to be able to work on myself as an actor to show many range so that I can go internationally. And even if I do, like, for example, I do want to go, to, you know, to the U.S. That's something that's in my, my – I want to do in the next year or two. But to get to that point, I need to start working my craft intensively this year get that down packed by the time I, I reach over there I'm not like oh I needed a practice so I haven't got the accent you know like at least when, when I when I'm there I'm ready but even then if I'm overseas I want to also find ways to build that connection with my production company because the women of this company is who I, I care mm-hmm. and I want to keep on supporting and I want to see them rise up as well so even if I do go anywhere I always have to think of who who's my tribe and why am I doing this for? rather than myself. So myself is still so small. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, so, wait, so you've never been to the U.S.? I've been, I've been a couple of times, like for the International Action on Film Festival run by Del Weston. Um, mm, cool. I won the um, Breakout Award for Hit Girls and on Fist of the Dragon, which is a Roger Corman um, yeah. film, a mixed martial arts film with Josh, Josh Thompson. So I won, I think, for the character that I played, which is like a... That was like a lesbian killer called Zen. So that was sort of fun yes, to, yes. Yeah, to get the support and recognition in, in America. I feel like over in America, everyone's so collaborative. You know, everyone's very like they want to work, they want to do things, which is something that I want to be able to tap into. Yeah. So uh, tell me then where in the, uh, in the process is Femme Fatales right now? At the moment, we have edited like a couple of teasers. We're getting things translated. Um, it's one of those things where – it's still unfinished because we've got a couple of people, like there's one person I really, really want to interview, Angela Mao, who's in New mm. York. Yes. Like I'm like to the girls, I'm like, guys, if we can get a grant to go over there, we want to interview her. This is She's an amazing woman. We, she's like the grandma of, you know, action cinema. So we've got to have to hit there. So it's we've got all these amazing people we've got in the can in terms of interviews. So we've still got other stages that we want to also tick off. But at the same time, there's no rush. Because when it comes to documentaries, I feel like making a documentary is about, it's, it's almost like the journey of myself and the team. You know, you learn along the way. We actually don't sort of go, oh, this is what the documentary is going to look like. The people who are involved help us mould what the documentary is going to look like as well as help us mould what the unified voice that they want to sort of amplify into the world. And we're just the vehicle. We're just here to sort of help collect all those voices and understand what the bigger picture is. 
So that's how I see the, the process of this documentary is like rather than saying, oh, no, we want to do a documentary. This, this is from our brain to the world. No, it's actually collecting the voices and amplifying that. Very cool. Uh, so uh, you mentioned uh, working with Jackie Chan, Richard Norton. Uh, you've worked with Jason Statham as well. Who out there is still someone on your very, very short list that you want to work with sooner rather than later? Uh, you know, I've always got a bunch of people that I want to work with. They're not like A-listers or such, but I do want to work with Gene Pauley, um, Andy Long, you know, all those guys who like – across the world are like making stuff independently or they're going to Vietnam or they're going to Asia to make stuff. And they're amazing people. I always tell them, guys, oh man, we got to find a way to collaborate, you know? And, you know, and even with like, you know, Mike Leader, I want to be able to work with him more intensely in Asia. I mean, I've worked with him on like Tiger Cops and Fenton Towers, board and associate producer, but if we can find like a really good producer or executive producer to pull in the funds so that we can bring everyone together, that would be great. That, that would be ideal. Um, but pretty much any indie group um, collective in America, I wouldn't mind sort of, you know, testing the waters over there uh, as well as again, going back to Vietnam and still working in, in that area because I feel like I want to be able to work within that circle first to build my skill sets Eventually, of course, I want to hit, like, the big screen, but I know I have to sort of build my skills up first. And the only way to do that, and I feel like to fast-track it, is to work with these very supportive people and collective across the world. Some some great people that you named there, too. Jean-Paul Lee is a fantastic, oh, yes. yeah. high-energy, awesome guy. Yes, amazing on screen as well, yeah. Yeah, all right, very cool. Um, are you ready to do a uh, quick lightning round? Um, yeah, a lightning <laughs> Yes, I am. <laughs> okay, uh, here's how it works. I'm just going to throw some questions at you. Uh, first yeah. thing that comes to your mind, uh, try not to think about it too long. Okay. And we'll just have some fun with it. Ready? Yeah. All right. Uh, what is your favorite Vietnamese food? Ah, uh, uh, fresh Vietnamese uh, spring rolls. Uh, what is uh, your depression ice cream flavor of choice? Avocado. <laughs> uh who is the best arm wrestler there at phoenix eye film studio oh there's a woman named nancy true she just lost 30 kilos but she's pretty tough yeah <laughs> all right uh what's your favorite martial arts move um i love poses i love like always the out pose and the intensity of those poses yeah <laughs> not really a move really it's just more of to show people don't mess with me kind of <laughs> oh that's it's awesome like that's block. awesome <laughs> All right. If you had your budget and your uh, resources, what film do you make right now? Oh, gosh. If I had that, I'll definitely finish off um, Femme Towers. We've got One Black Night. We've got Midnight Never Sleeps. We've got Hit Girls. But that one, that's the pretty the feature film. Um, yeah, so we've, we've got a few that we've, we've sort of lined up and hopefully, you know, in the next few years if it starts to drop, we can be like, yes, at least we did the work to get there. All right, very cool. And uh, last one, and it's a trick question, and I hope you get it right, but what is your favorite podcast about kung fu, martial arts, movies, and entertainment? Oh, my God. I think I'm sure it's that kung fu driving podcast. <laughs> I'm sure it's that. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. we're listening to it all the time in our office. So, yeah, it's kind of – you've kind of drilled into our – your voice is like a part of our office now. So, yeah. <laughs> very cool and, and kind of intimidating, but very cool. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Then what comes next for you and for Phoenix Eye? Uh, so this year I've already um, been booked in to do stuff. Like uh, I'm doing fight directing for like, my best um, big play um, at the Sydney Opera House. So oh, doing wow, the- nice. Um, and yeah, we've just been doing lots of corporate gigs here and there and then trying to set up a female led sort of fight choreography team, um, as well. So that's sort of in, in the works of what we're doing for Phoenix Eye. Where can my audience go to follow along with you and with Phoenix Eye? Give me all the socials and websites that you need to plug. Yeah, definitely. Definitely go on Phoenix Eye, uh, film production. Oh, there you go. Just, just, just hit us up on Facebook. It's, it's not hard to find us if you can go to phoenix side film productions or even just go maria trent i'm there like i'm i'm, I'm reachable for people yeah awesome yeah and i know i, I follow uh, you on uh, instagram so you post a, a few things there um looks like a fun studio that you guys work in i have to say yeah yeah it's so great because we got it um through another company pyt fairfield who said you know what we've got this space you guys can take over and we did we took we took over within a matter of weeks um, and, and we get to train for free. So it's been very community-based um, with that production company, So, which is good. Awesome. Maria Tran, thank you so much for taking some time out. Best of luck with all of your projects. Guys, if you haven't checked out uh, her YouTube channel, go check out some of her short films. Tiger Cops is hilarious and really, really well done. Uh, if you are a fan of the 80s uh, martial arts scene at all, you'll see some loving nods to the, uh, the action there. Uh, best of luck with Femme Fatales. That's something that... Uh, again, as a dad of three girls, uh, is uh, important to me um, because I'm more sensitive to that now. But um, uh, a, a noble cause for sure. So best of luck with all of that. And uh, Therese Chen, thank you so much for again for setting this all up. No worries. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank, thank you so much for that. That was great. <laughs> Huge, huge thanks to Maria Tran for waking up so early down under to chat with me. She's got this real inspirational vibe behind her, and I'm really excited to see more of what she's going to bring to action films and filmmaking in general. Thanks also to Therese Chen for setting the whole thing up. I had actually wanted to reach out to Maria for a while, so it was very cool when Therese uh, got in touch with me, and I was finally able to process that they're speaking to me from about 14 hours in the future. Next time we talk, i got to remember to ask for lottery numbers. Uh, thanks also to Phoenix Eye Films for inviting my show into their workday. Uh, most of my Australian listeners are concentrated in Victoria and New South Wales, it looks like, so shout out to my Aussie mates. Phoenix Eye looks like a cool, fun group of people, so check the show notes for links to their Instagram and other socials. Uh, I'll also post links to Maria's socials and her YouTube page where you can see more of her kick-ass videos like Tiger Cops and Hit Girls. And best of luck to her with Femme Fatale's Seen and Unheard. That's a project that I'm going to be following closely, so I hope it gets done sooner rather than later. In the meantime, keep tabs on me with all my socials and hit me with an email at kungfudriving at gmail.com. If you're on Twitter... Please don't forget to check in on my castaways, brethren, who are all doing some cool stuff in the indie podcast scene. Until next time, Poison Clan. Peace. Poison Clan rocks the world. Drink a little wine and get a drunk and then we're fighting, ha! 
this time it's warm We smash the place up with a dragon claws I see the iron fist in bunker from the daily prayers Shouting monks on the hands running down the thousand stairs The fate of Lee Khan now's in King Yu's hands With the fearless idea roaming over the land Yeah the little bitch soldier is older than wiser He wants a world of peace because he doesn't want to fight Yo, Got the venom mob laying down the law Bruce Lee delivered kicks guaranteed to great jars Fight for the cars then pause here but pause Not the end back kicks will defeat the outlaws Very good but boards don't hit back Yeah the death jewels here David D is coming back The Tai Chi master Jet Li's even faster Bitch had a little drink because he is the drunken master Once upon a time in China Rosa McQuan is real fine but see Maggie show his spine Golden Swallow has arrived Shang Chi movies will the hero will survive We've got the brave archer make his way to the top Of the mountain gonna fight may as well pick the spot Yeah the sky goes black cause the vampire's back We've got Lam Ching Ying to kill them all so stand back You place the black magic on the soul of the sword And our sword will travel until his bodies on floors Yeah Wing Chun Shaolin the Mantis style Yeah defeat the enemy and watch him run for miles Blood will spill now on the mountain tops When we bring back the soul of the legendary pops Welcome to the tea house, belly for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's warm We smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, belly for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war, we smash the place up with a dragon claw. See it's a game of death yo, you're facing the big boss It's once upon a time in China counting the TikTok The Shogun assassin slash and blood is just drip drop The head kick, neck drop, balance the bone stop Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassins He's got Irma just in yellow but she is in the dragon But in the tea rooms, that's where it'll happen She got the bodies on the floor when the blood It'll splatter against the walls, no fear at all To kill them all, there's always blood spilled When you head into a war, fearless Unleashed The fist of legend that the car Jet Lee I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumbling the streets And it's simple, see the facts are these It's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee Walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's warm To smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action Drink